Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. I love taking pilgrims to Rome, especially to the major basilicas like St. John Lateran. And I want you to imagine walking into this magnificent church. You're immediately greeted by 12 massive statues, six on the right, six on the left. And each of these statues represent one of the 12 apostles. One of the first ones on the right-hand side is a man who's holding a book and he's stepping on a bag of money. Who would that be? That's St. Matthew, the bag of money representing his past, his life as a tax collector, and the book representing his future, his his being not just a great apostle, but one of the four evangelists, one of the four gospel writers. And I love this statue because it captures Matthew's past and Matthew's future. And that's going to be so important for all of us Catholics over the next year as we enter into the great year of Matthew. And that's what I want to talk about here today. I want you, I want to enter in to the depths of Matthew's gospel with you to get you kind of ready. I know some of you may even be working in Catholic education as a school teacher, or maybe you're in, in ministry, or maybe you're just a parent and you're wanting to get your kids ready for the next year, this is a good time to just step back a little bit and get ready for the year of Matthew, which will begin next year. We'll talk more about Matthew as the podcast goes on, but today I want you to get to just know this great saint. I want you to get to know the man, and I want you to get to know how he thinks and how he works. So I'm going to give just a brief introduction to his gospel, and I'm so excited to share with you just a little bit of what I was sharing with some of the school teachers in Sydney, Australia, where I was leading them through a whole workshop shop on the Gospel of Matthew. So I give a big shout out to many of the Australian listeners here again. And I want to get all of you ready, though, for understanding this man. And and I think the statue tells you something important. It tells you something important about, first of all, his past. Matthew was a tax collector. I think many of you know that tax collectors were not looked highly upon by pious Jews in the first century Jewish world of Jesus, uh, many Jews would frown upon tax collectors, not just because they took your money. <laughs> you know, People don't like the IRS and government taxing us today. But, but back then, tax collectors were viewed as traitors. These were Jewish men that sold out. They were working for the Romans and for Herod, and they, they were collecting taxes for the oppressors, for the enemy. So they were like traitors to the Jewish people. So that's why they were despised by many Jews. But also, they were known as great sinners because they took extra money, more than they needed to, too much off the top for themselves. So they were viewed as traitors and sinners. And I think it's just so shocking, awesome, but shocking that Jesus would choose this kind of a guy to become one of his disciples, one of his 12 apostles, and even one of the four evangelists, one of the four gospel writers. So I love that image in St. John Lateran's that depicts St. Matthew stepping on the bag of money. It's like he's stepping on his past. Uh, And and it reminds us that many people who have had a colored past, who've had uh, a sinful life, who've made mistakes, there's great hope for them. If, If Jesus could choose Matthew, a traitor, a tax collector, a sinner, and choose him to follow him, he could certainly work with sinners that have lots of weakness like you and me, can't they? Uh, God can work with the, the, the least of his people to raise them up and transform them into great saints. And that's why the other part of this beautiful statue points to Matthew's future, that Matthew will become 
the, the, the gospel writer, the one to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, there's something important about Matthew, though, that we've already learned that's going to help you understand his gospel. And we even have readings for Matthew's gospel right now in the liturgical year. Recently, we've had a number of readings from Matthew. There's going to be a big focus on Matthew moving forward in the next year. But right now, whenever you're opening up this gospel, whether at Mass or in your own private devotion, remember he's a tax collector. That's going to help you out so much. Why is that going to help you? Well, a couple things. First of all, Matthew's gospel is going to emphasize the, the, the universal mission of Jesus and his disciples and his kingdom. That the kingdom, yes, was uh, the restoration of the kingdom of David, the Jewish kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, but it's a kingdom that's meant to go out to all the nations. And so that's going to be a very important theme in Matthew's gospel from the very beginning of his gospel, where we'll see there are many prophecies about how Christ will come to establish a kingdom, not just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles. Uh, that Jesus is going to be light to the nations. Think about the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew's gospel is the gospel that gives us the the greatest detail about Jesus' core preaching. What was the message he was delivering over and over again throughout Galilee? We get three whole chapters in Matthew and Matthew alone about the Sermon on the Mount. You get some of this in Mark, you get some of this in Luke, but man, in Matthew's gospel, you're going to get the most. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But how does it all begin? He begins with the blessings, the beatitudes, and the great charter, the great mission for the kingdom is go out and be light to the world, go out and be salt to the earth. That that would be important for someone like Matthew especially, because Matthew was living in a lot of darkness. <laughs> Matthew was not a Jew that was salty, <laughs> that was not giving uh, uh, giving enrichment to this world. Uh, it wasn't he wasn't nourishing anything. He he was someone who was a traitor and a sinner. He was living in great darkness. So for Jesus to emphasize being light to the world, being salt to the earth, that's an important message for Matthew and for us today. If you have a dear friend, you have a loved one that is away from the church someone that may be living in darkness, either in clouded in their own mind and their views of the world, or maybe clouded in sinfulness. Matthew especially is a great gospel because he emphasizes, perhaps more than any other, the universal mission of Christ's kingdom from the get-go all the way to the very end. Think about the ending of Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28, in the great commissioning, Jesus com- commissions the apostles to go out and baptize who? Not just the Jewish people, baptize who? Not just the holy ones, those who have their act together and all the righteous people. No, no, he says, go out and baptize all nations and make them disciples. So go out to even the Gentiles, even to the pagans who don't know that much about God's plan of salvation, and many of them who are living pagan and moral lives, go out to them and bring them the truth, call them to repentance, and bring them into the union of Christ's church, the Catholic Church, the kingdom of God. So the universal mission emphasized in Matthew's gospel, that would be close and personal to Matthew because he himself was someone living in great darkness Uh, in his own sinfulness, a tax collector. But there's something even more I want to share with you about the importance of Matthew's background as a tax collector. You see, Matthew would have been trained as a tax collector. He He would have been trained in scribal skills. He would have been trained in detailed note taking. 
And, and I got to believe if you were one of the 12 apostles, any of the 12 apostles, you would do what you can to try to remember what Jesus said. And maybe you take some notes. But if there was one disciple that would have had the best notes in class, you know, the guy you want to copy notes from, it would be Matthew. Because <laughs> Matthew was trained in this. This is what he did. Lots of detailed note taking was a part of his life as a tax collector. And, and that's why many scholars recognize the way Matthew structures his gospel is just just, just astounding. Uh, again, all the gospels have certain themes and certain structures to it, but as one New Testament writer says, Matthew writes his gospel with the precision of a Swiss watch. <laughs> I love that image. Matthew writes his gospel with the precision of a Swiss watch. We're going to see that every little detail in Matthew's gospel is there for a reason. He's he's structuring his gospel. He's laying out certain themes. And, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why the Catholic Church has always upheld Matthew as a crucial gospel for teaching the faith, for handing on the faith. It's a key gospel for evangelization. It's a crucial gospel in times of renewal. Let me give you a couple examples of this. You know, St. John Paul II himself described Matthew's gospel as, quote, the catechist's gospel, the catechist's gospel. Uh, if you're involved in, in passing on the faith, whether formally you work for a Catholic school or a Catholic parish, or maybe informally you volunteer and help teach ECD, you help with youth ministry, you help with RCAA, or let's just say you're a mom or a dad and you have a tremendous responsibility to be a primary catechist for your children. Whatever the case may be, it, it, we're all involved, right? We're all involved in some way or another in passing on the faith. We want to know Matthew really well. Why? It's the catechist gospel. It's the gospel the church holds up for, for passing on the faith. And again, Mark and Luke and John are, are also important, of course. But there's there's a certain primacy with Matthew, I think, in the Catholic tradition for, for catechesis. And I think one of the reasons is, is how highly structured it is. It makes it very easy to walk someone through the life of Christ and help them to see events progressing from one situation to the next. And this is why Jesus responds this way now. This is why he tells parables at this point in the narrative because of what just happened right before. And, and, and it's very highly structured, easy to walk someone through. John Paul II saw that as he called Matthew's gospel. Gospel, the Catechist Gospel. I also want you to know that this is the gospel that was disseminated and quoted the most in the early church. So in that early period of evangelization, the gospel that was used the most, quoted the most, was Matthew's Gospel. In times of renewal throughout the church's history, the Gospel of Matthew has played a great importance. Think about the time of St. Dominic in the medieval period. Uh, St. Dominic, the founder of the Dominican Order. Dominic goes around preaching in France, countering heresy, calling people to conversion, evangelizing. What gospel? He carried one gospel with him. Guess what it was? It was Matthew. And in our own modern times, think about the great Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, a council that was all about renewal, about the church interiorly renewing itself so that we can go out and more effectively proclaim the gospel in a new cultural situation of the modern secular world. Uh, and this gospel plays an important role in Vatican II. Did you know that as the bishops gathered in the Vatican for their opening meeting and the opening ceremony for Vatican II, there was a grand procession and leading the way, they were carrying a certain book. Guess what book it was? It was Matthew's Gospel. 
Again, I, I think because it was so highly organized, that makes it very easy for teaching. It, it, there's a great structure to it. I want to share with you a couple of those structural points today, and, and we're going to do a, another follow-up next episode to go a little more in-depth in Matthew's Gospel, especially looking at how he uses prophecy. Uh, but let me just give you a couple little, uh, little tastes uh, of how the Gospel is structured. First of all, um, many people have noted that Matthew structures his Gospel in five major sections. Five major sections that recall the five books of Moses. So the whole Old Testament uh, was seen as being founded at the foundation of the first five books of the Old Testament, the first five, first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And those were known in the Jewish tradition as the five books of Moses. And what's interesting is that Matthew does many things to try to show Jesus as the new Moses, just as Moses was the one who led the people out of slavery, led them out of Egypt, and, and had them cross the Red Sea and go to Mount Sinai as they began their journey through the wilderness in 40 years. They first went to Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain to get the law. Think about that. Just as Moses led the people in all those ways, what does Jesus do in Matthew's gospel? Well, the first time we read about the adult Jesus is in Matthew chapter 3. And what does is, what is Jesus do? He goes into the waters of baptism as he's baptized in the Jordan River. Just like Moses led the people through the Red Sea, Jesus is going to lead the people through here, the waters of his, his baptism, the beginning of his public ministry. And then just as Moses led the people for 40 years out into the desert where they were tested, so does Jesus lead, go into the desert at the very beginning of his public ministry for 40 days, recalling the 40 years of Israel, where he's going to be tested by the devil. And then just as Moses went up the mountain to, to get the law, the Ten Commandments on stone, so does Jesus go up the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, to give the new law. And then just as Moses came down the mountain with those Ten Commandments on stone, so Jesus, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 8, will come down the mountain, it says, and he's going to perform 10 powerful miracles. Moses had the law in stone. Jesus has the law written in his heart and, and, and extended in his public ministry through these 10 powerful, miraculous healings and actions that take place in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Now, that just gives you a little taste of this Moses typology, the way that Matthew is going out of his way to show Jesus is like the new Moses coming to give the new law to lead the people in a new exodus. Just as Moses liberated the people from slavery under Pharaoh, Jesus is coming to liberate the people from a much deeper, much darker opponent. Not Pharaoh, not Pilate, not Herod, not the Romans, but ultimately the devil, sin, death. That's what Christ is going to liberate us from. That's the new Exodus. He's the new Moses, and he's going to show us the way with the new law in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, back to these five sections. I wanted just to get a sense of just how intentional, how deliberate Matthew is, how highly structured he is writing his gospel with the precision of the Swiss watch. Uh, how does he do it? Well, pay attention. If you take a look at the way Matthew's gospel is overall structured, he's structured on five major sections. Each section contains 
a major narrative and a major discourse. So a pair, you've got this pair of narrative and discourse. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is that Matthew gives a narrative reporting Jesus doing a whole bunch of events, a series of events. Jesus did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. It's just it's just Matthew narrating the events. Very little dialogue. A couple quotes of Jesus maybe talking to the apostles or talking to a Roman centurion or, or talking back to the devil. So you see Jesus talking to people, but there's not a long discourse. After a series of events being reported in narrative fashion, Matthew then switches gears and then lets Jesus just speak. It just lets Jesus give a monologue where he'll go on and on for many, many sentences, many paragraphs, sometimes several chapters. Jesus just teaching and teaching and teaching. Narrative followed by discourse. I'll give you an example of this. In Matthew chapter 3 and 4, we have the first set of narratives. We've got the story of John the Baptist baptizing in the Jordan River, the story of Jesus coming to meet him and being baptized there, and then Jesus going out into the desert to be tempted by the devil, and then Jesus going back to Galilee where he chooses his first disciples. Narrative, 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 narrative. Then all of a sudden we switch gears in chapter 5, and Jesus goes up the mountain to give the Sermon on the Mount. He gives the Beatitudes. He quotes the old law. He talks about prayer. And he goes on and on for three chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We just have this long discourse. It's just a monologue. It's just Jesus. You don't have any interaction. You don't have uh, actions and events unfolding. It's just this is Jesus' words, a long discourse. Then, again, in chapters 8 and 9, you've got a narrative, and the narrative reports various events. Jesus healing a leper, healing his mother-in-law, calming a storm, healing a paralyzed man, raising someone from the dead, over and over again, just these multiple events. And then, in chapter 10, you get a long discourse as Jesus sends his 12 apostles out on their first mission. He gives them a, a long sermon on, on how they need to go out and carry out their mission. So do you see how this works? I won't go through all the details. I just want you to be on the lookout for this. When you read Matthew's gospel, be on the lookout for those narratives and discourses back and forth. You'll find five sets of them recalling the five books of Moses, the book of the law. Are you excited about Matthew's gospel? Did, did you realize there was this much there? And my friends, we're just scratching the surface. This is just the beginning of what I, I hope we'll be able to continue talking about over the course of a number of podcasts. I'm going to do one more follow-up next week, and then we'll pick up Matthew as we get into the year of Matthew a little bit more. But next week, for those of you that are interested, especially in biblical prophecy, and you want to see how Matthew beautifully points out prophecies. We're going to see that in Matthew's gospel, a number of scholars recognize that uh, there are probably about 60 times Matthew is quoting the Old Testament, showing prophecy coming to fulfillment. And there's over 250 times he's alluding to the Old Testament. Uh, again, Mark and Luke and John are constantly interacting with the Old Testament, showing how the Old foreshadows the new, holding how, showing how Jesus and his ministry bring to fulfillment all the prophecies and hopes in the Old Testament. All the Gospels do this, but Matthew, I think we could argue, does it more intensely, more intentionally, more, more, more explicitly than anyone else. And I can't wait for you to just kind of get a sense of this. It's going to be so awesome to see the old and the new coming together because all these books together are all written by one common co-author, and that's God. And Matthew beautifully just shows the whole story of salvation coming to fulfillment in Jesus and his church. So if you want to 
get a better taste of that. Stay tuned for next week's follow-up to this this deeper dive into Matthew's gospel. I want to recommend a couple resources to you as well. For those that just want to kind of get a, a brief introduction to Matthew, I want to recommend one book that I wrote many years ago. It's actually the first book I published. It's called Mystery of the Kingdom. It's published by Emmaus Road. Uh, if you're friends with Scott Hahn and the St. Paul Center, you could check out on his website. Uh, Emmaus Road is run by them, Emmaus Road Publishing. It's called Mystery of the Kingdom. This book has been used in many high schools uh, so it's very easy, very short. You could you could probably read it in an afternoon, and it would give you a big bird's eye view of Matthew's gospel. Uh, it also comes with study questions, so you could use it for personal reflection in the chapel. You could use it for small group Bible study. I know many people have used this book for Bible study. So again, uh, it's a book I wrote. Uh, it's so it's called Mystery of the Kingdom, and it's put out by Emmaus Road Publishing. Uh, there's another work that I was blessed to co-author with my very good friend Curtis Mitch. Uh, this is a little more extensive view of Matthew's gospel. You may know Curtis Mitch from the Ignatius Study Bible. Uh, he has done so much to write those amazing uh, biblical notes in the in the Ignatius Study Bible. So you, I was just very blessed to be able to write this book with him. Uh, it is a, a line-by-line commentary on Matthew's gospel. It's called The Gospel of Matthew. So it's by Curtis Mitch and Edward Sree. It's published by Baker Books, Baker Books in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's part of a series called the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. The Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture. All of these books, both of these, uh, Mystery of the Kingdom, the Gospel of Matthew, you can find on my website, edwards3.com. So if you're looking for some resources on Matthew, check those out. And you can always reach me with any questions about Matthew's Gospel, any questions about the Catholic faith, any questions about how I think the Cubs are doing this year, uh, any questions about marriage. And by the way, pray for my marriage. I'm so excited. We are going to be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary here in a a week's time. So please pray for Beth and I as we are very thankful for 20 blessed years and our wonderful children and all of you who are trying to pray for us. But we we always appreciate those prayers. So again, any questions, reach out to me on my website. Uh, You can always reach me also at info.edwardsree at gmail.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. God bless.